In Carter's Last Race, my latest novel, a selfish man in his 60s is granted the gift of youth to see if he can change his ways. Read Carter's Last Race and experience the exuberance of youth. The novel is available on Amazon. Welcome to the Sheila Stories, which relate the life of an Australian woman in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. I'm Pat Kelly, your host and storyteller. Now, to get us all back up to speed, in the last episode we heard the story Cold, in which Sheila learned to live without Jesse by making friends with a new community called the Year Rounders and becoming reacquainted with the sport of surfing. And in Thomas's world, he realized he had been a fool when he let Chris Carbone get away. He learned this lesson from the Sheila story, for Sheila, after losing her second husband, once again picked herself up and carried on with her life. After the story, Thomas knew he had to try to get Chris to come back. Luckily for him, she agreed. In today's episode, we will hear the story Patience, in which Sheila will teach Flossie Parker's children Freddie, Abby, and Peggy, how to fish. Patience. Five years later, on a hot July morning, Sheila and Freddie, Flossie's 12-year-old son, rode bikes to the surf shop on Beach Avenue. Freddie had watched her surf for years, nagged at her to teach him again and again, and now he was old enough to give it a try. The summer after buying the board at the souvenir shop, she had discovered that there was latent demand for surfing in Cape May. A kid had spotted her surfing at the beach. He had watched patiently from the dunes and then begged her to teach him how. A week later, that kid brought a friend who also wanted to learn. Then another friend showed up, and another. She had opened the surf shop the next summer and hired the surfer kids for workers. The store stocked beach necessities, toys, bathing suits, and chairs, but also rented surfboards and offered lessons. At first, Sheila had taught the lessons herself, but the surfer kids had grown, and they taught the lessons now. Nevertheless, Freddie lacked the natural coordination some boys had so Sheila would teach him herself. Thirty minutes later, she took Freddie through the land drills. Soon, they walked into the water. For an hour, they practiced paddling and kneeling on the board. Then she had him try getting up in the shallow waves. She held the board for Freddie until a good wave approached. Then she gave the board a shove, and he scrambled. On the first try, he splashed instantly. He fell as fast on the second wave, and the third, and many more waves. But then one time, he got to his knees before falling, and then he stood on the board and stayed upright for a full second. He began to regress soon after that, so she brought him in. That's enough for today, she said. You did great. It's harder than I thought, he shook his head. I'm terrible. Just takes time. You'll do better tomorrow, I promise. He was like any 12-year-old, part angel, part devil, and all confused. 
She had known Freddy for nine years, but saw him only for a couple weeks each summer. With each visit, he grew taller and bigger. She had studied his progress and found him to be remarkably average. Sometimes he played the bratty oldest child and picked on his sisters. But if one of them got in trouble, he would protect them as fiercely as any soldier. Yes, Freddie Parker would make a fine man one day. After three days of lessons at the beginner's beach, Freddie learned to ride a wave all the way to shore. Every time he succeeded, his face lit like the spotlights at a night sports game. He'd never win a competition, but he could have a fabulous time. On the other hand, his sisters, Abby, 10, and Peggy, 8, felt left out. The two girls sat on the porch with Flossie and Sheila after dinner. Why does Freddy get to have all the fun? Abby asked. He thinks he's such a big shot. From the next rocker over, Flossie said, We're going to Wildwood Friday. We'll play the boardwalk games. Abby shrugged, showing faint interest in Wildwood. They went every year, and Sheila guessed she wanted to try something new. What about fishing? Sheila asked. Have you girls ever been fishing? No, said Abby. The little one, Peggy, shook her head, her eyes wide. All right, tomorrow we fish. Tony Santucci, one of the year-rounders, took Sheila and her crew, Freddie, Abby, and Peggy, on a fishing adventure into the back bays between Wildwood and Cape May. Sheila played chaperone, allowing Flossie and her husband, Jimmy, a rare day alone as a couple. Tony owned a small cabin cruiser, slow, sturdy, 25 feet long, and 10 feet across the beam. He had a dark complexion and gray hair sprouting from his shirt collar. Once they had cleared the marina and headed into the harbor, Tony stood at the wheel and taught the children how to read the channel markers. Red right returning. Have you ever heard that saying? He asked Abby. No. She stood next to him in shorts and an orange life jacket. On Tony's orders, they all wore life jackets. When you return from the seaside, you must keep the red marker on your right and vice versa. What about the green markers, she said. Do they go on the left? You're a smart cookie. Freddie climbed outside the wheelhouse to the bow, and Peggy sat next to the rail and stared at the passing water. Her blonde hair was tucked under a white sailor's cap. A towboat cut in front of them, trailing a big wake. The wake caused their bow to rise high and dip down, and Peggy white-knuckled the rail. Sheila sat beside her and pulled her in close. It's all right. This is a sturdy boat, and Tony is a fine captain. But Peggy's eyes remained wide, so Sheila distracted her with a story about when she learned to fish. She had used crab for bait. But we'll use minnows today, said Sheila. What's a minnow? A tiny fish. We'll use a tiny fish to catch a big fish. They approached the bridge from the mainland to Wildwood. A man in work clothes watched them from overhead. Quick, Peggy, wave! Peggy stood and waved with both hands. Their boat motored into Jarvis Sound. White herons stood patiently in the flats. Four pelicans glided past in formation. 
A school of small fish caused ripples to the left, and a seagull dove into their midst. After following channel markers a while, Tony turned the boat starboard toward a creek. They passed near a smaller boat, and he slowed his engine to holler at the fishermen on board. How they biting, Greg? Slow. Couple puffers. Thanks, buddy. Tony turned the wheel and said, We'll try another place I know. Ten minutes later, he slowed the boat near the mouth of a small creek and cut the engine. They drifted silently until coming to a stop. Pine trees grew on shore. A woodpecker drilled at a tree in the woods. Tony said to Sheila, If you get the rigs ready, I'll see to the bait. Come on, kids, she said. I'll show you how to fish. She pulled poles from the cabin, and the children gathered around. Freddie, you take this black pole. Abby, you'll get the red one, and Peggy gets the green one. She attached rigs to the end of each line and gave the kids a quick lesson on the basics. By then, Tony was ready, and he baited each rig with two minnows. Peggy's fishing pole was the smallest of the three. You'll never catch a big fish with that pole, said Freddie. It takes a big pole to catch a big fish. Don't be so sure, said Tony, and he winked at Peggy. It's not the pole that catches fish. It's the fisherman, or woman. Freddie dropped his line off the port side, Abby fished from the stern, and Peggy stayed where she was. Within a minute, the tip of Freddie's pole bobbed. I got a nibble, he yelled. Set the hook, said Tony. Lift the pole. I caught a fish. I caught a fish. Freddie's pole bent and jerked left and right. Tony grabbed the net. Reel him in easy. A flash of white swam in the water. There he is, yelled Freddie. Easy, said Tony. A little closer. Tony scooped with the net and dumped the fish into the boat. The fish flipped and flopped. Abby squealed, Peggy stared, and Freddie shouted, I caught the first fish! I caught the first fish! A nice weak fish, said Tony. The fish was brown on the head and back, silvery and shiny on the side, and about 12 inches long. Tony unhooked it and said, Okay, the fish are here. Get to work. Abby caught the next fish, another weak fish. Then Freddy caught a small croaker. Listen to him, said Tony. He sounds like his name. Then Abby caught another weak fish. Then Freddy caught two croakers at once. Peggy stared at the end of her stagnant pole as if willing it to move. Reel in your line to check the bait, said Sheila. But the minnows were fine, wiggling away with a hook through their lips. Then Abby caught another fish, and then Freddy. Then Peggy did catch a fish. She reeled it in easily, but Tony said it wasn't big enough. The fish fell off the hook and flopped on the boat deck, ugly, brown, and five inches long. Tony called it a sea robin. I told you, said Freddy, you'll never catch a big fish. Then Freddy's pole tipped and he reeled in another one. Peggy's eyes grew big and watery. Sheila knelt beside her. Don't worry. You caught one fish. You can catch more. Keep trying. The girl's jaw set hard. She nodded and widened her stance to prepare herself for a long wait. Freddy's hot streak continued for the next half hour. He caught eight fish, and Abby nabbed six. But Peggy only reeled in the one. Then the fish went away, and no one caught anything. 
Tony moved the boat to another place, but they had no luck there either. Sheila brought out sandwiches, and everyone stopped fishing to eat on paper plates, except Peggy, who nibbled her sandwich from one hand while she held her pole with the other. Won't make any difference, said Freddy. You can fish all day, but you won't catch fish like me. Tony glared at the boy, but didn't say anything. Shut up, Freddy, said Abby. You were lucky. Luck had nothing to do with it. It was all skill. Peggy chewed silently, staring at the tip of her fishing pole. The girl reminded Sheila of someone, someone from her past. Who? The tip of Peggy's pole dipped for an instant. Then it dipped again. She dropped her sandwich and lifted the rod. The tip bent like an upside-down U and twitched all around. Hold on, Sheila shouted. I can't. I can't hold it. It's too heavy. With her heart pounding like a jackhammer, Sheila rushed to Peggy's side. Tony, get the net. The rod jostled in Peggy's hands, but she held on. Sheila knelt close. Reel him in a bit at a time. The rod tip bent until it touched the water. Abby and Freddie crowded in. Sheila pushed them back. Give her room now. Give her room. Peggy struggled so, reeling the line. Sheila feared the little girl might wear out. Tony came with the net and leaned over the side. A brown shadow moved through the water beneath the surface. Jeez, said Tony. Look at that thing. Sheila held Peggy around the middle to keep her rooted to the deck. Peggy's left hand was white where she gripped the pole. Her little fingers turned the handle again. Tony leaned farther, one hand on the rail and the other on the net. The brown shadow came close and Tony scooped. And then the fish was in the boat. It bounced in the air and landed on Freddy's foot. Freddy jumped back. Flounder, yelled Tony. A fat flounder. Must be four pounds. I've never seen one so big. Peggy stood still and stared, her chest heaving. She took her hat off and let the sun shine on her face. Abby jumped up and down. You caught the biggest fish, Peggy. You caught the biggest fish. On the ride back to the marina, the kids kept lifting the lid of the cooler to examine it. The flounder was flat, brown on its back, and white on its belly, with two eyes together near its mouth. The fish was so big, it couldn't lay flat in the cooler. Its mouth curled against one side and the tail against the other. Freddie stood next to Peggy. Both of them hunched as they stared at the flounder. He draped an arm across her shoulder. He's a beauty, Freddie said. You caught a beautiful fish. Okay. That's the end of the story, Patience, and we've covered a lot of ground. Now, this is a lighthearted story, which we really needed after the intensity of the last two stories. This story takes place in the summer of 1955. Freddie, who we first met at the age of three, is now 12 years old and is learning how to surf. His sisters, Abby and Peggy, are growing up also, and Sheila teaches all of them how to fish. Now, I really enjoyed this story because when I was a kid, I used to go fishing in an old boat that looked a lot like Tony Santucci's. I even remember catching a big flounder once that was similar to the one Peggy caught. 
The next time you visit Cape May, check out the Sailor's Delight Back Bay Fishing Group out of Wildwood, New Jersey. They're about 10 minutes drive from Cape May. You can do this kind of fishing relatively cheaply. You don't have to charter a big boat and go into the ocean. You can fish right there in the shallower and calmer waters near Cape May. Depending on the month of the year, you might catch weak fish, croaker, striped bass, bluefish, or flounder. Good luck wherever you decide to drop a line. I hope you catch a beautiful fish, just like Peggy. Now I'd like to take a moment to promote my writing. I just released a new novel called Carter's Last Race, a time travel novel, which is available on Amazon in ebook and paperback formats. In Carter's Last Race, a likable alien named M is assigned a mission. Give a selfish human the gift of youth and see if he'll change his ways. Back in 1979, long before Carter Shields married Rich, he was a college student with a beautiful girlfriend named Molly. They spent their weekends together in the little stone house where Carter lived. At night, after making love, they'd listen to the trains pass on the nearby tracks. But then Carter met Linda, the sole heir to a burger chain fortune. Worried about his future, he dumped Molly to marry Linda for her money. Carter went on to live a life of luxury and laziness. His only real accomplishment was to become a distance runner who completed many marathons. Now Carter is 63, and his hips are so arthritic he can barely manage a walk around the neighborhood. So when M offers him the chance to be 19 again for 30 days, he jumps at it. What will happen to Carter on his surreal journey? Will he succumb to the frivolous temptations of youth, sex, parties, rock and roll? How will he react when he encounters a young woman who is the niece of his old girlfriend Molly? Will he repeat his mistakes of the past? And finally, does he have enough time to train for one last race? Read Carter's Last Race and experience the thrill of unencumbered youth. To find the novel, go to Amazon and type Carter's Last Race by Patrick Kelly into the search bar. On today's episode, we had music by Cinemedia and sound effects by Noise Creations and Zapsplat.com. Thank you, friends. I'll be back soon. Bye now.